everybody. Welcome to the Don't Back Down show. Um, here today is uh, our executive director, uh, producer, uh, Liz Deal, who will be joining me. Andy uh, Teitelman, uh, our, my uh, co-host, is actually working for a change today. <laughs> so he uh, is uh, uh, taking care of some of his clients. So he'll probably be calling in, I'm sure, after he takes care of his clients. Well, he's always working, but yeah, today I think yeah. he's in court. You can't really tell the judges, you know, when you're representing clients that you're, uh, you're busy doing stand show. He's he's actually calling me on my phone. I don't know why he's calling me on my <laughs> phone. So go ahead, talk, Andy. I got you on the. Uh... Tell so, him. T- no, tell him to. Yeah, call in. <laughs> so anyhow, he's going to be calling. In. But we have a good show today. We have um, Mark Tapson, who is a. Uh, Part of David Horowitz's Freedom Center, uh, he is a prolific writer uh, on different uh, topics. He has those digital uh, pamphlets. Yeah. Uh, one I want to talk to him about is the ten lies that the woke, ten lies that woke, uh, the woke community tells you. Yeah. That, well, there's more than ten, then but he, we're going to do yeah, the most yeah, popular well, we know ten. That, we know there's more than ten. <laughs> Where do you want to start? Um, and then he has some other. Uh, uh, digital pamphlets, too. Uh, I'm trying to think of the names of them. Well, one of his sayings on front page is, inside every progressive is a totalitarian screaming to get out. That's, yeah. But that's from David Horowitz. Yeah, yeah. Well, David, if you remember the last time he was on, he didn't pull any punches, and we didn't have a mute button. No, so he, he was sure definitely, didn't. He was definitely fired up. We weren't sure. expecting that. He was on fire. We yeah. had to bleep him a couple times. Yes, and then... Um, Josh Prince uh, is going to be on. He is defending uh, uh, Second Amendment rights in uh, Pennsylvania, and he's written a couple of uh, arguments, which um, I forgot to bring the documents with me. I actually sit on my on my desk at, uh, in my office, but they were pretty uh, pretty good good arguments. Yeah, and he'll be talking about that. I can pull them up if you want, but uh, yeah. yeah, he ran for Commonwealth Court. In Pennsylvania, unfortunately, he didn't win, but he is a big fighter for the, our Second Amendment yeah. rights. Well, actually, you know, he didn't win, but I think we need his arguments to be in front of the court. I mean, his ability to argue points is just, I've heard him, I've seen him in action. He is uh, on point every time, so he, he does a great job. So here's the thing. He'd been a great judge, but he is a fighter and defender yeah. for all things constitutional. Yeah, and he's good friends with Judge Patricia McCullough, and yeah. the two of them fight together yeah. in the courts and have a very good uh, record. Uh, I do want to, before um, Mark uh, calls in, I, I do want to talk, uh, I do want to bring up number two, and it's Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson was on fire this week, so I've got a couple of clips from him. So, uh, TJ, can you play number two? There's a reason in the order. It's not just that it's nice to say what you think and that it's essential to human dignity to be able to express what you really believe, though that is true. You cannot be a full citizen if you can't say what you think. You are instead a slave. You are, if you're not allowed to say what you think, you are not a citizen, you are a slave. It's that simple. And you don't need physical shackles because you have them in your head already. So that is all true. But that's not why they're trying to control what you say. They're trying to control what you say because they know that if you say it, nothing will ever be the same. And this is exactly why they hate Trump. 
And it's not an endorsement of Trump, but it, it's just interesting since I've known, you know, I've watched the whole Trump saga and I've had various feelings at various times. I've been incredibly frustrated by Trump because honestly, who couldn't be? And then other times I've been totally inspired and excited. But the whole time I'm watching Trump, I'm thinking to myself, the core question which no one ever asks, which is why do they hate him so much? Honestly, why do they hate Trump so much? It's the talking. It's the talking. It's not because Trump's program is so radical. Are you joking? He'd be, if this were 1985, he'd be like a center-left liberal. It's not radical at all. That's fascism? Are you joking? No. No, it has nothing to do with what he does. It has everything to do with the fact that for whatever reason, his brain is not entirely controlled by the people in charge. And because he's not entirely controlled, well, first of all, it tells you that everybody else is entirely controlled. If, like, Trump is the one they hate the most, like, what did Trump do wrong? I mean, you could say, oh, well, he's orange or whatever. Okay, fine. But, like, has he really committed a crime so severe that we should send him to prison for the rest of his life? That's insane. And half the Republicans in Washington, probably closer to about 95%, would be very psyched if he went to prison for the rest of his life. So why is that? I'll tell you exactly why. I know, because I've watched this really carefully from Washington for his entire term and then the subsequent three years. They hate Trump because they fear Trump. And they fear Trump not because of what he might do, but because what he might say. And at any moment... Trump might be autistic enough to tell the truth about what's actually happening. Whoa, what's that? I was in D.C. when this started, and Trump had the greatest line I've ever heard. And no one even noticed it except me because I spent my life in Washington. But he was in, having some debate, and somebody said something about NATO, which is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, post-war to prevent the Soviets from invading Western Europe. And Trump goes, what's the point of NATO? And I remember thinking, what a stupid question. What's the point of NATO? Everyone knows the point of NATO. Like, the, it's to prevent the Soviets from invading Germany. But I was like, but there are no more Soviets. That ended in 1991. So, like, what is the point of NATO? That's actually, and then I was thinking to myself, because I had been living in D.C., so I was, like, captured by the groupthink that does capture you if you live in a place long enough. I remember my wife, who grew up outside Detroit, being like, why would anyone buy a Japanese car? That's insane. You know, I mean, she just grew up here. To this day, she would never have a foreign car. Like, what? They can't really be better. You know, you just, you're a product of the world you live in. So I'd never thought of, like, what's the point of NATO? And Trump said that. And I remember thinking, well, that's an entirely fair question. I'm sure there's a good answer. Anybody? Anybody? No one can answer it. And instead, they attacked him like he was Hitler. And I remember thinking, like, why are you mad at him for asking what turns out to be a totally legitimate question? And maybe you've got a good answer. What is it? Uh, shut up! Oh, shut up. That's your answer? Really? And it was that kind of thing. And it was the fear that he might say one of a thousand things that you're not allowed to say. Which is pretty much everything at this point. And by the way, I'll stop at this and take your hostile questions. But if you want to know, this is, and I'm being completely sincere, what's true, the true things are the things that you can't say. I cannot remember the last time someone in public life. So I wanted, you know, I listened to these comments about, you know, you know, the fact that 
if you don't if you can't say what you're thinking, then you're a slave. And obviously, uh, the Democratic Party is creating slaves all over the place because anybody who disagrees with them, they've got these crazy D- DAs that go and find all kind of stuff uh, to rail against you and put you in prison. Mm-hmm. So if you're OK with that, then you're not American. That's number one. The Democrats have been have been challenging elections since, you know, Nixon. And um, I have a little play with Tucker looking at that later on. But I'm going to take you back to Greek history. Uh, Socrates, as you know, was a great uh, Greek philosopher from Athens. His big thing was questions. He was always questioning everything. And it kind of became a nuisance to a degree. He would go down the street and he would see one of the, uh, uh, the leaders and he would question them about why are they doing this, why are they doing this. Ultimately, when things got a little tough, they finally got fed up with them asking these questions because it was putting them in a tight position that these politicians couldn't answer these questions. And they put them on trial with all kind of trumped up stuff. So basically, what you're seeing today with Trump is a modern day, and I'm not saying that Trump is you know, philosophically as bright as uh, Socrates was. But there's a lot of things he looks at that are very common sense, which Socrates was looking at things in a very common sense way. But ultimately, they gave him a choice. The choice was stop asking questions and you'll live or you have to die. He opted to take hemlock and die because his life felt that he would have no life if he couldn't ask questions. Because that was his philosophy. So we're seeing that today. Uh, What a great philosophy. There's an old saying, I'm not sure who said it, but if you get angry or mad at uh, uh, being asked questions, then you're a liar. Mm -hmm. People who aren't lying. So we need to bring that back. But uh, obviously the media, you know, they're not doing that. Yeah, they're they're not asking the questions because they're part of the the total hypocrisy of of what the left is doing. So keeping that in mind... um, I am going to have TJ play Ryan Weavers. Let's light him up. Because right. <laughs> I think this is what comes on. Yeah. You were born to fight. Yet. You got to light them up before they burn it down. Better dig deep and put them in the ground. Blood on their hands. Okay, we have uh, Mark Tapson on the phone. Welcome, Mark, to the Don't Back Down show. And um, oh. I know you light them up every day with some <laughs> of your articles. I-, I must tell you, from the grand deception to the path of 9-11 to the fight for our lives, uh, defeating the ideology of war against the West, which, of course, you know, they're trying to – just talking about Socrates, but there's a big movement in colleges, as I'm sure you're well aware, and I know David is because we've had him on this show. Uh, the only thing is we needed a censor button a couple of times when David was on his show because <laughs> he really let it all out. <laughs> so I, David gets very passionate. Uh, I would think that that's an understatement, to tell you the truth, <laughs> for sure. But, um, you know, there is a movement to eliminate the great, the great thought process that gave us Western society, which was really birthed in Athens, Greece, with the great philosophers and the mm-hmm. idea of democracy. And they're trying to eliminate that type of stuff in, in college, destroying the Western person. But I know Liz wants to ask you a big question. 
she wants she says Stan he wrote a pamphlet about the 10 woke lies that they tell yeah. you but she <clears throat> says I know there's more than 10 lies <laughs> so you need to write another pamphlet cuz Liz got a whole other list yeah welcome <laughs> welcome to the show yeah th- thanks for having me well thank yes, you for being, uh, thank you for being yeah, on yeah Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, I did uh, recently uh, write a pamphlet called The Top Ten Woke Lies, and yes, it was uh, a little bit problematic to try to limit it to ten, but, uh, <laughs> you know, those ten are overwhelming enough, so I thought, well, let's just do it, you know, one batch at a time. Yeah, okay, so then, in other words, there's going to be about four more chapters or four more pamphlets <laughs> coming out? <laughs> uh, well, you know, there are, the left's entire worldview, this uh, cultural Marxist worldview, is, is based on a lie, and so uh, they need a lot of lies to prop up this this uh, false narrative of theirs. Well, you know, you tell one lie, uh, then you have to tell more lies that they continue to be, uh, build up on it. I've recently said that what you're seeing today with the globalist leftist elite and everything else is mm-hmm. the development, the building of a latter-day 22nd century Tower of Babel. Uh, it collapsed mm-hmm. because utopia can never be reached, and they are creating the same uh, the same thing, the same Tower of Babel that will collapse, and, and it's going to be very destructive, as you well know. That's what history has taught us. Absolutely. Well, you know, the left has a very utopian worldview. This is one of the things that differentiates us between uh, the left and the right, is the right kind of understands generally that human beings are fallen, sinful creatures, and that we're never going to be perfect, and certainly we should always try to improve ourselves, but, but the idea that we're ever going to create... Uh, a utopia on earth of our own making is just not ever going to happen. But the left does not believe that at all. They have a very utopian worldview. Um, And um, as I always say, you know, these utopian dreams always turn, as you just alluded to a moment ago, into dystopian nightmares. Uh, All throughout history, you can see that every effort that man has made to create a perfect um, to kind of socially construct a perfect society. They've all ended in uh, totalitarianism and mass misery and death. Right. Uh, you can kind of, uh, you know, when I think about uh, uh, some of the leftist ideas, for example, public housing back in the 30s, they were building all these great buildings and everything else like that. And of course, today, all of them have been blown up because they actually didn't do what they were supposed to. They became hotbeds of crime, of drugs, and just a mess for people to live in. So that those are some of the failures. It's going to be like the EVs, this mandatory thing to ch- switch over to EVs. When you know mm-hmm. we are not equipped to handle it right now, and there is a, there is room for EVs. There's no doubt about it, especially if you live in the city where you're doing short tr- travel and things like that. But let's face it, if you're out in the Midwest or you're traveling long distance, you need you need gas. There's no way that this is going to work at all. Uh, mm-hmm. So these are some of the falsehoods. How about a couple of the other lies that uh, you want to jump on and, and talk about? Well, I'd say one of the ones that's, that's most malicious and uh, most destructive is this, this notion, this really malicious smear, actually, that the United States is a systemically racist nation. This is just demonstrably false, but it's, it's a belief that is axiomatic to the left. They've spent decades um, instilling in our young people this kind of obsession with our country's sins and shortcomings and uh, a hatred of our flawed heroes and founders and and our historical exceptionalism. And this whole notion that we're systemically racist means 
that racism is baked into every structure and facet of American life, whether it's the law or the economy or education or the way cities are planned, uh, the way we hire people in, in, uh, for, in jobs, every single thing. And you hear this term baked into a lot from the left. They say, oh, it's baked into the system. And that's actually a very convenient way for them to condemn a system without having to actually identify specific instances <laughs> where the racism is occurring. Um, because in their mind, the entire system itself is just racist and cannot be fixed. You have to discard it entirely and make way for a completely different and, uh, in their eyes, more just system. And, you know, you have to completely negate history. As you well know, they talking about reparations and things like that. But I don't know how many people read the history of Africa and uh, how Western man came to Africa. They couldn't go in the darkest part of Africa because they wouldn't live very long. But they started trading for ivory and other goods with major, some of the major African tribes, which I forget some of their names at this point. And as, they, yeah. um, as the African tribes kind of diluted their, uh, their material, uh, they always had slaves because they would raid another tribe and they would take those slaves and they would operate and maintain their, their agriculture. Fourteen million yeah. slaves were sold. Not by Portuguese, not by the mm -hmm. British, not by the Americans, not by the French, not by the Islam, the Islamists. They were sold by African tribes because it was considered a commodity. The African mm -hmm. tribes considered those people from other tribes lower than life. They were their slaves. They didn't care what happened to them. But they knew that we get good money. They would get arms and weapons and things like that. So if you want to go back and get reparations, you better start going back to Africa and get reparations from these African tribes who, if they didn't sell their people, there wouldn't have been any slaves. Exactly. Well, the left loves to make um, the, West, the Western world, and especially America, seem like uh, slavery is historically unique to them, uh, to white people. And, of course, that is historically false. And the whole notion of reparations is just hopelessly complicated in a lot of ways. Um, but the, the big overall thing to ask yourselves about um, reparations is, is this really going to resolve racial conflict? No, it's going to, it's going to heighten racial conflict. It's going to rub raw um, the resentments and the guilt that um, blacks and whites feel over uh, the history of race. And that's actually by intention. I mean, the left has no intention of of ever resolving issues. They have to constantly keep um, people at each other's throats and divided. So the whole notion of reparations, besides being kind of ridiculous and, and unfair at its most basic level, the whole notion of it uh, will course, not solve course, any racial issue. Of course, never let a good crisis go to waste is a democratic, exactly, mo is a exactly democratic right. motto. You know, the thing that bothers me the most is you hear Martin Luther King in his great speech, I Had a Dream, and he talks about judging people not by the color of the skin, but the content of their sure. character. And, and that is what we have to do. The, yes. the America that I know, should what government should be doing is making sure every American has the right to be the best versions of themselves. That's mm -hmm. their job, not to, set one, not to set race against race, economic class against economic class, because that's yeah. very George Orwell, animal farmish uh, for yes. all practical purposes. Well, the woke left would consider Martin Luther King today to be racist 
because his colorblind statement about treating people, you know, according to the content of their character, that would be considered racist today. Um, well, he also was he also was a registered Republican, but that's another story. <laughs> yes. So uh, yeah. So that uh, this whole uh, notion that um, that colorblindness is racist. Uh, yeah, we 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 had made a lot of progress in terms of race in this country, and of course the left can't have that. You can't have progress. You've got to uh, keep people at each other's throats. So they had to kind of pervert the whole notion of what's racist and what's not. And you you wrote that in one of your writings, Mark. I remember that you said today's pro-crime left is completely indifferent to this uh, scourges of gang-related or black-on-black gun crime. This is something. That- yeah, that that ties in with one of my woke lies uh, in the pamphlet, which is that um, the left is not coming for our guns. Uh, the left likes to say, you right-wing gun nuts, we're not coming for your precious guns. And this is absolutely false. They most certainly are coming for them. They would love nothing more than to um, get rid of the Second Amendment altogether because that would free them up to disarm law-abiding Americans and prevent them from uh, resisting government tyranny. So the left would love to get rid of the Second Amendment. Uh, And so they're constantly demonizing guns themselves and even uh, law-abiding gun owners as the problem in this country. They never, you never hear them complaining about gang-related shootings or, uh, you know, drive-by killings of children and things like that. You never hear them uh, complain about those. It's always about the mass shootings, the ones that they can most exploit Americans through emotionally um, to try to turn them against guns. You know, one of the other things, I would, I, and I don't know if it's in, in the 10 lies, but the other thing that really bugs me, and we were talking about this, we were at um, Chris Segal, Dennis Prager, um, Mike uh, Regan, Michael Regan, Pastor, uh, Jeffers. Pastor Jeffers, and I forget the other guy's name that was there. Um, on Monday night, and we were talking about uh, about uh, faith, religion, and and and, uh, and being an American. And one of the mm-hmm. things that bothers me is this false narrative of taking God out of the schools, the uh, the the ability to talk about moral issues, about respecting your fellow person. Um, <clears throat> they take it out in in the disguise that uh, the government can't teach religion. But by doing that, you basically force people to believe the religion of atheism. And I believe atheism is a religion. It is a belief that there is no God. There is a belief that there's nothing greater than the state, which is a falsehood, as you know. And we have to get back. And I'm not a religious fanatic in any stretch of the I, God forbid, uh, the priest would probably kill me. I haven't been to church for a while. (laughs) But uh, I was an older boy in the Vatican, so that was the height of my religious career. Uh, But in any event... Uh, bringing back a discussion in schools about morality, about God, about the different religions and the different faiths out there. I mean, you, you think about Confucius, you think about Buddhism. It was the respect of fellow human beings. And Christianity is supposed to do that, too. Of course, it got kind of sidetracked. Um, so there, there's something that you could definitely do a pamphlet on that. Well, I think he has. I, first of all, they're coming after our children. But of course, Biden and I, I know you wrote about this, Mark, and you can speak on it. He said that we're mm-hmm. not coming for your precious kids. But in, then he repeated that 
you know, our nation's children are <laughs> all our children. So he wants to take our kids, which, you know, they're not going to teach him morality, just like they won't get to the root of the cause, you know, behind the gun violence. They have no interest. But Mark, you did write that. Wasn't that number four? Uh, does that tie in? We're, we're not coming for your precious kids. Oh, yes. I, I've forgotten what number it is on the list. But we'll, uh, we'll, we'll remi- around we, we will remind you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, but yes, that's that's another one of the woke lies is we're not coming for your precious kids, you right wing nuts. Um, they most definitely are coming for our kids. I mean, it's it's you can see it everywhere throughout the culture. Uh, this whole gender ideology push, which I now consider to be the tip of the spear of the cultural Marxist assault on our uh, uh, on our the foundations of our civilization, it's all about taking hold of the younger generations and getting hold of them and driving a wedge between them and their parents and between them and their parents' morality, their parents' Judeo-Christian morality. Uh, It's instilling in children a a sexual consciousness before they're old enough to even start learning their ABCs. It's to instill in them a gender confusion in order to uh, confuse them about the meaning of masculinity and femininity because it's about eradicating those two categories altogether. It's part of their mission to to abolish the family, this whole uh, gender confusion that they're trying to instill. So, yes, they most definitely are coming for our kids. Uh, If anything good could be said to come from the pandemic, it's that a lot of parents woke up to what was being taught to their children in schools. Um, And so it's, you know, created a lot of mama bears at at, uh, school board meetings who are defending their children and and pushing back against this ideology that's that's being um, uh, taught to our children. So, yes, they most definitely are coming for our children. And um, uh, that's something we've we've got to fight with everything we've got. Yeah. And and it's very symptomatic of uh, what Stalin was doing and what Hitler was doing, you know, to tattletale on the parents if they had a conversation yeah, that was right. Uh, and those and they were, were the children were rewarded for going after their parents. Uh, interesting yeah. thing. Dennis Prager on Monday night asked a question and I was shocked to see this. He asked a question. How many parents in this room that when their kids went away to college and they came back home, you couldn't talk to them? They wouldn't mm-hmm. talk to you. Half of an 850 mm-hmm. group people raised their hand. Yeah, that you know that goes beyond uh, what was it? Uh, the great humorist Will Rogers said uh, before I went away to college, I couldn't believe how stupid my father was, but when I came <laughs> back, I couldn't believe how smart he became. It's uh, it's it's really uh, quite. It was uh, to me, I was flabbergasted by that number of people. Yes, uh, whenever I've gone and made any public speeches anywhere, uh, I've had people come up to me afterwards and say, you know, I've had older generations of people come up to me and say, I have lost my children to college. I can't talk to them. How do I reach them? You know, what what can I say or do to get my children back? And it really has, you know, it's, the thing is, it started in the universities. This whole cultural Marxist movement began in the universities decades ago, but it long ago was filtered down now all the way to pre-K. So, I mean, every, every grade level, every uh, educational institution is now infiltrated or infected, you could say, with this uh, Marxist worldview. And it's, uh, you know, I think our educational system in this country is hopelessly broken and that we need to make some major changes. And I'm a big homeschooler. I'm a homeschooling parent myself. Uh, I teach other kids in our homeschooling community. But I know everybody can't homeschool. That's that's kind of a blessing that I have, that most people can't uh, manage for various reasons. But but if I always tell people, if there is any way you can get your kids out of school and homeschool them, or if your kids are grown, 
uh, homeschool your grandchildren. You know, see if you can find some way to get your kids out of out of our schools because they're hopelessly corrupted. Absolutely. And I just want to say to anybody who thinks they can't, I put, I'm, I have two children and uh, yeah, I am a single mom doing it alone. And you would think I couldn't. But, you know, God always finds a way. And I pulled my kids yes. out uh, in 2020 and I homeschooled them for two years. I felt like I wasn't smarter than a fifth grader. My daughter is so smart, especially with the math. Yes, she is. <laughs> they, they ended up in Christian school, but I, I, I just don't think there is an option leaving them in the schools to be indoctrinated. And that is what's going on. And, and my kids ask me, what, what are we going to be going back? I, I tell them never. I mean, mm, yeah. you're just not going back. I, I don't want to sit there and live on, on the dream that we're going to have it fixed up that quick. I kind of feel like it needs to end the public schools, just end and instead of rebuild it, just end. We need to end it. And uh, well, school choice up. is one of the ways to there's one of the ways to go yeah. school choice. Yes. And then by default, because the, then there will be competition, uh, the schools will have to correct themselves. Look, we have a mm-hmm. teacher's union and I don't have to tell you this, Mark. We have a teacher's union that doesn't give a hoot about the kids. Um, no, they, it's about power. It's it is about power is about indoctrination. It is about, uh, uh, you know, taking the kids away from the parents because we're stupid. We don't know anything. But here's a point yeah. I'd like to make. They are concerned. They want us to make sure we have drag shows for our kids yeah. to be. But, but, <laughs> yes. But, Mark, I wonder if you agree with this point. I feel somewhat guilty in that common sense people, and I, and I, and I you know, it's one thing to be a conservative, but to be common sense conservative American, we've kind of abdicated our 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 ability to teach people by not being the professors and pushing to be in schools and things like that and being teachers and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So mm-hmm. we've kind of given up that ghost and, or, or we've gone to these professors have gone in and they've been corrupted because they want to belong and they want to yes. be part of this clique. So there's a, a certain amount of, I think, responsibility that we have. And of course, as you know, with Yunkin and everything else, there's been this great awakening of a lot of parents, but we need this yeah. awakening of people to be able to go into schools and do it. I'd love to see in a lot of the communities that retired people who have still great ability, who've been accomplished to be able to go in schools and teach, to teach about life mm-hmm. issues. You get a 22 yeah. year old teacher who has no life experiences at all, whose head is full of mush and trying to teach kids it, it you know, that's not going to work. Well, you've got uh, a whole generation of, of, of teachers now or more who don't consider themselves really to be teachers. They consider themselves to be social justice activists. And so they're, okay. not, a, they're, not, about, they're not about opening minds and, uh, you know, uh, teaching critical thinking skills. They're about teaching kids what to think, and they're about indoctrinating them in social justice issues. Uh, and that's part of the, the, the lust for power that the teachers' unions have. But... Uh, you know, if I could tie all this, maybe tie all this together with something that you referred to a moment ago about taking religion out of the culture. You know, the the Russian dissident Alexander Solzhenitsyn right. back in the 1980s said that all of the terrible things that had happened to his country, Russia, in other words, since the 1917 communist Revo- revolution were because man had forgotten God. And I think today we've reached the point where uh, it's gotten even worse than that because we now are at a point where man is trying to replace God. So 
this is it, this affects the entire morality of our civilization and the entire uh, success of it and i think we've got to push back hard against this notion that we can create our own perfect heaven here on earth because we are our we are gods ourselves that is that's really at the core of what we're fighting against it's actually it actually comes down to a spiritual battle yeah, yeah. I, I you know carl sagan i've said this to a number of people in, uh, over the years uh, I can remember Carl Sagan, the great astrologer and astrophysicist, talking mm-hmm. about how we as human beings are made up of the universe. We're part of the universe. Our our DNA is made up of the universe. The materials that mm-hmm. make planets, we are part of that. And when you think of that, and I, I carried it one step further, when you think about the universe, the universe creates these beautiful things. I mean, I've looked at the James Webb telescope, the Hubble's telescope. I'm constantly looking mm-hmm. at that stuff. And there is some magnificent things out there in the universe, but yet the universe creates beautiful things and then it destroys it. And if that's in our DNA, we as humans have to always be on guard against that, that we cannot destroy each other. We have to find a way to accept each other because, as you know, life in the universe, the only place we know that exists is right here on this little speck called Earth. Mm -hmm. And it's very precious, very rare. One of the things that religion is valuable for and helps instill in us is a sense of humility. And I think we have to have that kind of humility as a, as a race um, in order to get along with each other and to uh, do everything we can for each other. Without that humility, when we begin to believe that we are gods, that we are yeah. you know, the, the divine power, when we begin to feel that way, we lose that sense of humility we lose that connection with each other, and we begin to uh, push for things that are ultimately horribly destructive. Um, so well, well, I, I well, think humility well is a big, big factor there. Well said. Uh, so what's uh, another one of the ten? Uh, uh, what was one of them? Uh, don't say, don't say gay. Don't say the word gay. Don't say the word gay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, by yeah, the way, I one... love I love watching some of the old movies from the 1930s <laughs> because the word gay was used all the time. I We're going to have right? a gay old time. Yeah. We're going to do this and everything else. And I'm yeah. going, you know, and, and yeah. you know, I try to, I listen to it in today's context, but I realized back then that was not an unusual thing. No, you know, I, I was talking to my children about this the other day when I was growing up because I'm, I, you know, I'm up there in age. We used to say, oh, you're so gay. That meant you're just, you know, crazy. <laughs> it never meant that. The great movie, The Gay Divorcee no. with uh, Cary Grant and uh, I forget her name, but uh, so... Yeah, that's one of the many a number of words that you can't use anymore, but they kind of out of context and and twisted, and even perverted in ways that are useful to the left. But uh, yeah, you can't say you can't say I'm in a gay mood anymore without raising eyebrows. Um, I have yeah, that, I have said that in my uh, golf locker room just to get a rise out of the guys. I said I'm in a gay mood today. <laughs> Do you get any proposals? <laughs> I in have the not locker got room? I have not got uh, pinched or anything of, else like that. So I'm places, in good. It's got to be good. the locker room stand. I'm good. See, we have a good time on this show. We kind of we we get serious, but we got to throw some humor in there. But um, that's the way to do it. Yeah, yeah. You have to laugh at some of this stuff because it is absolutely crazy. But Mark, can you tell us about uh, the Governor DeSantis and and uh, what? Yeah, about the smear. Yeah, yeah. That the don't say gay uh, issue. That's one of the top ten woke lies. Uh, it's sort of limited to Florida because it refers to uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and his uh, this this law that he put into effect about preventing children from i think it was fourth grade and below maybe third yeah, grade but it was fourth it, it yeah it um 
it basically said, you, you know, that teachers can't raise um, issues of sexual education or, you know, any kind of um, inappropriate uh, topics to kids who are too young to process these things. You know, you mentioned common sense conservatives. Well, this it just seems like a common sense thing, you know, is that you don't try to uh, talk about <clears throat> sexual issues with kids who don't even know <laughs> their ABCs yet. <clears throat> Excuse me, but uh, the left latched onto this and uh, began to attack it as the "don't say gay" law, which they completely made up because they're, the, the word "gay" does not even appear in the text of the law. It has nothing to do with not saying the word "gay" or not allowing anyone to express their their sexual preference or anything like that. It's simply about uh, keeping parents involved in their children's education and about making sex education um, <clears throat> age appropriate. But the left wanted to demonize not only that law, but DeSantis himself, because DeSantis is a big culture warrior. Mm -hmm. um, they hate Ron DeSantis because he's not afraid to get in the uh, dirt with them in these cultural issues and push back hard. Uh, well, that's also, so, why they don't, that's also why they don't like Trump and they don't like uh, uh, a lot of um, common sense conservatives who push back because they push back with common sense and with reality yeah. checks. And uh, they can't handle reality, you know. So when they have a sign that says no hate lives here, you got to look at the back because the back of the sign has all the disclaimers. You know, if you don't agree with me, we hate you. If you, uh, you know, want to keep it in the closet, we hate you. You know, it just goes through the whole the, list. All the disclaimers are on the back. So please read those yeah. back of those signs. And those yeah. such hypocrites. So they support enabling schools to transition the students to a different gender without the parents okay. Oh, yeah. Well, they're, they're totally fine with indoctrinating their worldview into children. But, um, you know, they... They don't want conservatives to um, to have that same option. Yeah. The uh, the other thing is, of course, the open borders issue. Uh, you know, when you, you take a lot of these progressive lefts and they talk about um, environmental and everything else. And when you think about 22 to 33 million people coming into our country over the last couple of years, the impact on environmentally on the United States is absolutely astronomical to say nothing mm -hmm. about the impact in our schools. And you have senior citizens are getting chased out of their house because Democrats, you know, keep on raising the taxes to pay for these for these virtue signaling things that they want to do. But yet send them to Martha's vendor, uh, Vineyard, um, have a Democrat <laughs> in California leave his door open in his house so people can come in and eat his food and sleep in his bed. Forget it. They won't do that. Um, I'd love to have a conversation with Rob Reiner, who I believe is still a meathead. And um, probably uh, I'd like to see if he lets people in his house, you know, to do that. Uh, well, yeah, the left is not incredibly hypocritical. Um, they take a lot of positions that don't really make sense or that, that they don't want to apply to themselves. I mean, these elitists, these globalist elitists, uh, everything that they push on the people, they're going to completely insulate themselves from. So, uh, you know, environment, you know, Bill Gates demanding that people uh, start eating bugs instead of beef. You know, Bill Gates is never going to sit down to a plate full of bugs. He, you know, he's he's going to keep eating his steaks. All of these wealthy globalists, they're going to uh, maintain their and he, lifestyles. And he's going to have his private jets and he's going to have his mm -hmm. big SUV. That's exactly. It's ga gas driven. And that would that's yes. that's some of the hypocrisy that goes out there. Yeah. Uh, if these people really cared about the environment, they would sell their private jets immediately and get rid of them yes. and just fly commercial like everybody yeah, else. Yeah, and get rid of their security, you know, oh, and follow get rid them of their around because they don't want guns rid, so bad, yeah, but they want to be safe. Yep. 
Yep, yep. Just uh, give out uh, chocolate kisses with their security people. <laughs> oh, don't say and, chocolate because that brings us to number 10. Uh, I don't what, know if, number 10 is don't say well, chocolate? <laughs> no, but the number 10 big lie is the, you you know, Mark, but I'm just reminding you and want you to touch on it. The right wants to ban black history and culture. That's oh. number 10. <laughs> That was very appropriate. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, See, so you just, have to come back. We've got even better stuff that we can do, too. But uh, <laughs> I mean, you have to laugh yeah. at this stuff. The, 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 the left is absolutely, they're ridic- absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it really is. It's unbelievable what's going on. It is unbelievable, and it's it's ridiculous, but uh, they have a lot of power and a lot of influence in the culture, so we unfortunately have to take it very seriously. Yeah, the whole notion of, of the right wanting to ban black history, that stems from, I think that also began with Ron DeSantis, uh, because he wanted to eliminate the teaching of critical race theory in Florida schools. And uh, critical race theory is not black history. No, it's but, definitely uh, not. Because it, it totally it's not forgets, actually. Yeah, they totally, yeah go ahead. The, they totally forget about the uh, African tribes selling the 14 million slaves to the Portuguese and everybody else. You know, they forget about yeah. that part. <laughs> Critical race theory is, a, is part of the Marxist worldview that, that pits everybody, you know, as you uh, position everyone as either an oppressor or an oppressed person. And uh, critical race theory just puts everything in, those, in that worldview, in those terms. And it's not black history. It's not actual history. It's indoctrination. And uh, as Ron DeSantis said, we believe in education, not indoctrination. So he had critical race theory uh, essentially removed from the the school curriculum there. But the left wants that to sound like Ron DeSantis and other conservatives want to ban black history and culture, that we don't want to talk about slavery, that we just want to uh, eliminate all of these things and and erase blackness from our schools. Mm -hmm. That's all ridiculous and false. Um, we, we have no intention of banning black history or culture or, or of uh, whitewashing the history of slavery. It's not about that at all. But the left has to uh, demonize this as being racist. Yeah, and the false 1619 Project narrative, which claims that America's founding yes. was rooted not in liberty but in, in slavery and racism. So, yeah, yeah. You, you spoke about that, Mark. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I want to bring on uh, Sheriff Bunny Walsh from uh, Chester County. She was the sheriff there for 14 years, and if uh, she had been the sheriff when, uh, if you know about the uh, illegal alien who um, has murdered people and mm. escaped from prison, yeah. if she were the, the sheriff uh, with her eight dogs or so, in which the Democrats got rid of all the dogs except for two. Um, they probably would have caught her. But I, I, I know Bunny will, will be glad to uh, uh, talk about some of the, the hypocrisy of the left. Bunny, are you there? Yes, I am. Hi, Bunny. Hi, Bunny. How you doing? Hi, Sheriff. Hey. Uh, th- we have How Mark, Ta- uh, Mark uh, Tapson on the phone. Uh, he is uh, with uh, uh, David Horowitz's uh, uh, Freedom Foundation and has written a number of pamphlets uh, that you'll just love, because I know. Front so, page magazine. Front page magazine. So uh, s- tell Mark some of the hip- hypocritical stuff that went on when you were sheriff and what the left was doing there. Well, thank you for having me on, first of all. And I did serve for 20 years as the Chester County Sheriff. Yeah, I forgot you were 29 years old. I forgot about that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a baby. Yeah, it's the baby. Uh, 
the problem is with the current administration in the county. I truly believe they do not have the right priorities, and that's abundantly clear in many offices, not just in the sheriff's office. And it really was crystal clear with this break, uh, this prison break, because there had been a similar break five months, three, four months before from the same prison, the same MO, and I don't know what was done between May escape and August escape to correct those issues. And that lies completely on the prison board. The prison board consists of three county commissioners, who the are, sheriff. Who are, who are Democrats, right? Three, two, of the, two of the commissioners well, two are, are Democrats. Two are Democrats, one Republican. Right. Yeah, I, I say Republican uh, gently because uh, uh, we have that, uh, <laughs> I, you know, you got to show me. I, I, you know, Republicans to me, you got to show me you got some guts. Right. Prove it. Prove it. Uh, Three county commissioners, the sheriff, who is a Democrat, the district attorney, who is a Democrat, the controller, who is a Democrat, and the president judge. And that is the that is the prison board. But the board itself is run by the warden. And of course, the warden is employed by the county, as are the corrections officers. The position or my position is, had they attended to whatever uh, uh, problems and the MO and the whole policy and procedure to address the May escape, this individual, Cavalcanti, would not have escaped in August because it was the same MO. My position with what happened in the sheriff's office, when I retired in 2020, we had eight canines, uh, working canines. I'm not talking about a, a comfort dog that serves a purpose in the court when a child is testifying or in a traumatic case, but eight working canines. Now a canine, uh, uh, seven of our dogs were German Shepherds and one was a Belgian Malinois. They are trained primarily in a scent detection, meaning uh, bombs, which is known as an explosive dog, drugs, known as a narcotics dog, accelerant, known as an arson dog, and we had a human remains detection, HRD, known as a, uh, a cadaver dog. They're hmm. primarily trained in that scent detection, but they are also trained in tracking. And we often say tracking and apprehension, because when we would show our dogs, people would say, do they bite? You say, no, they apprehend. There's a big difference. <laughs> they don't just go bite although, somebody. Although it looked like he got a little bit up by one of the dogs, uh, uh because he, he looked, I, he looked, I saw a picture. I, he saw a picture of him. He's yeah. pretty bloodied, you know. I don't know if that blood was from abrasions and and what he had done under that wood pile or with other brush or whatever, or if the dog apprehended him. Once again, dogs don't bite; they apprehend. They get hold and they hang on. It isn't like a dog bite that you know they attack you. It is an apprehension, or in this case, they use the word sounds nice subdued okay the dog (laughs) subdued the dog subdued the fugitive the dog helped to apprehend i know i I know if andy was here he'd have a joke right now i just know it i can't but you know i want to i want to ask mark in in all your (laughs) pamphlets the and you can hear some of the angst in bunny's voice because she did it for 20 Mm -hmm. years as a sheriff and the the complete disregard for common sense in approaching the criminal mind the criminals yeah. in our area we know that there's evil people we know that there's people that are mean that will do that will hurt other people 
regardless of what happens. They're either on drugs or there's something's not clicking in their brains. You know, this is something else that the left has seemed to be okay with. They, they feel that these people should be on the streets. I can remember when I was young, we had a place called Byberry in, in Philadelphia. It was way up the Roosevelt Boulevard up near the Turnpike. And there were several buildings there. And so anybody that was on the street that was not coherent, they would send up to Byberry. Now, was there abuse there? I, I am sure there was some uh, abuse there. But I do know when we went up there for a class trip, believe it or not, we went as a senior class trip in 1964. We go up there and we're met at the gate with somebody who thought he was, uh, 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 who thought he was General uh, MacArthur. He had a MacArthur jacket on, a MacArthur hat on, and he waved us in. I go, okay, we're not in Disney World anymore, you know, one of those things. But they eliminated that. All those people are on the street. They're down there shaking money mm-hmm. at different intersections. You know, where do we, yeah. you know, how do we handle that? How do we, how do we say to these people, these elected officials, you've got to do something. This is ridiculous. These well, people need help. We need to elect different officials to start. <laughs> yeah. Correct. Correct. Well, we get back to this escape. You know, this Cavalcanti should not have been in the country in the first place. So let's start mm-hmm. with this. Along with 22 okay? million other people. Yeah. Right. Not only he should not have been here, but apparently had traveled across the border multiple times. The uh, Allegedly, the killing, the murder he did in Brazil was over a drug deal or money because of a drug deal. Now, he should not have been here, but primarily is, is the first point. Secondly, he should not have escaped from the prison. I point the finger solely at the men and women on that board and the operations or whatever policies and procedures were in place following the uh, initial uh, uh, escape in May. But the other thing is, as I said, we had eight dogs at the time, primarily trained in scent detection, but they're trained in tracking. Had, now the, the office is down to two dogs and the fugitive apprehension unit that we had, FAU, which were six deputies trained tactically with tactical gear, night vision goggles, has also been eliminated. So you had canines and tactical unit eliminated. Had we been able to dispatch at the time this individual hit the ground over the wall, he was on foot, so he was not picked up by a vehicle, so you have a fresh track. Before it's contaminated, before that Mm -hmm. track is contaminated, and even after, I mean, these dogs are good, but had we been able to deploy two, four, maybe six dogs immediately, there is no question in my mind that we could have apprehended him within the first few hours of the first day. Unfortunately, mm. we do not have those resources available because there are only two dogs. There's no fugitive apprehension unit. And I think it goes right back to not caring about the public, being more worried about uh, DEI and other issues and mm. not worrying about public safety supporting uh, the local police and the, in this particular case, the canine unit, fugitive apprehension unit, and not really caring. You know, the DEI and the ES, what is it, ES? SEL, social. Yeah, social. I mean, Mark, uh, Mark, this is some of the most hypocritical BS out there because, you know, humanity has always been based on competition, on somebody with great ideas. I mean, you're you're basically creating mediocre thought process by saying, well, we got to have that person because it meets a certain, you know, it fits our DEI score. And mm-hmm. then you eliminate other people. This is why I believe affirmative action is is wrong, that, as I said, government should do everything it can to 
to balance the, the, the playing field and, and have the ability for everybody to be the best version of themselves. And you know as well as I do, Mark, that in our, center, in our city schools, there is no attempt to improve the educational process of our kids. In Philadelphia, I think the budget's like $1 billion, or some ridiculous amount of money, and we cannot educate kids in our school system at all. Zero. Well, the left is not about opening up minds. It's about closing minds, as I mentioned earlier. And uh, this whole notion of diversity and equity and inclusion, um, it stems from their worldview that the United States is a systemically racist nation. So the entire system, they believe, is racist and produces racist results. And anyone who benefits from that system, in other words, someone who maybe through their own merit uh, has achieved something or earned something, they feel that that was stolen from the people that the system oppress, oppresses. So, uh, so diversity and equity inclusion is all about balancing that out in their minds. Equity, for example, like you don't ever hear the word equality anymore, do you? It's all equity. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because equality is one thing, but equity is very different. Equity is present discrimination to atone for past discrimination. In other words, it's discrimination against uh, uh, those who have succeeded or those who are in power. It's discrimination against them because they were presumed to have stolen that power or those achievements or accomplishments from um, the, uh, the people who were oppressed by the system. So everything that, that, you know, that this whole DEI um, agenda accomplishes is actually ultimately kind of destructive and uh, uh, levels off levels down society to its lowest common denominator. Uh, it's very destructive. Yeah. Uh, well, Mark, I, I really want to appreciate uh, the time you've given us today, and I hope you can come back uh, uh, when you get your next pamphlet out there. Please make sure we get a copy of it, and we'll have you on yeah. because uh, uh, this has been great. Go ahead. Well, I, I wanted to mention, yeah. you know, Mark is is also the host of an original oh, podcast on Front Page, The front Right page. Take with Mark Tapson. And uh, we can follow you on Substack, right, Mark? Is there anything else that you could tell us? Yeah, give us uh, your call uh, letters and stuff. Yeah, no, the, the best place to keep up with what I'm doing is my Substack account, which is marktapson.substack.com. Or you could just go to substack.com and look up Culture Warrior, and that's, that's me. Okay. Awesome. Well, Mark, I really appreciate the time you've given us. A very enlightening, uh, and I hope you found it the same way. Uh, oh, yeah, and, thanks and we, for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank yeah, you, and uh, we hope we uh, look... You know, I believe that you you can't change the world in 24 hours. You have to take it one click at a time, and I think we did one click today, yeah, for sure. Yes, and I appreciate yes. I appreciate all you do, and thankfully we didn't have to have the censor button for you like we have to have when <laughs> when David comes on. Right. <laughs> tell him we said hi, <laughs> and tell David we said hi, and he can call. I in will. Any, he can call in any time and be himself. I don't have a problem with it at all. Okay. A little, a, less of himself, a little less of himself. Just a little less of himself. A little less of Minus all the cursing. I told him, you need to get out of California. You sound a little, he sounded a little mad. I think I'd be mad if I was out there. Yes. Thank you so much, Mark. We appreciate it very much, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks for having me. I have feelings mutual. Great, great. All right, Sheriff, you're on. I have a, yeah. a, a young man here who wants to ask you a question. He's been chomping at the bits to answer your question. Sure. My question is, there's been reports now saying that they had to send a Border Patrol unit out in Pennsylvania to find this guy. What would you say in that stance of them having to send a special unit from Texas to find this man? 
said, well, I'm not on the ground, and I only have the information that I've been receiving like you, so I don't have any additional information. But I think you are correct. They brought up Border Patrol. They had the U.S. Marshals. They had every possible resource. In fact, they had doubled from 200 to 400 to 500 officers. It was a tremendous amount of manpower on the ground. Do I think... I believe from what I read or uh, read and heard that it was the specialized unit that they brought in who finally was able to track him and finally able to uh, do a definite perimeter. Because remember, there were several perimeters. The original perimeter was right down here where I live. I'm only two miles, three miles from the prison. Then I, I, wish, I wish you would have got him. I understand that they, they were actually in your backyard. I wish oh, they were in the front yard. In the front yard. When you yard. look out the window, when the, you look out the window and you see a guy in tactical gear with an AR, and then you look out the front door and you see four or five cars with lights flashing, and then you have helicopters flying overhead. Yeah, he was right here in the backyard, in the front yard or the side yard or whatever. And they brought in these specialized units. I would like to see a final report as to who actually effectuated the capture. I don't know. I did understand, however, it may have been part of the Border Patrol, part of their tactical unit, part of a, a uh, U.S. Marshal combination. But I don't know if we will get an accurate report on that quickly. I'm a little concerned about if we will get a full report and who's going to want to, quote, take the credit. Oh, I know Shapiro will definitely want oh, to take Shapiro, the credit. Uh, I love how he just jumped right in yeah, front of those cameras, uh, pretending he led the whole thing. Josh and, Shapiro. Oh, did, I, did, yep. I, I expected to see him in tactical gear, to tell you the truth. But, yeah. Well, he wears tactical I'm gear surprised. all the time. Tactically, he is uh, suppressing the people all the time. <laughs> oh, my gosh. There's no doubt about it. You know, uh, it takes, he's been, take, he's been then, running for president he, since uh, he was in kindergarten, just to let you know. Yeah. Well, between, Actually, he's been raising funds. Him, He's been raising funds since kindergarten to run for president, just to let well, you know. Well, between this escape and the 95, uh, he's put himself in a national spotlight twice. So what do you think? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, uh, anyway, look, look, he's, look, obviously, he's a bright guy. There's no doubt about it. You know, uh, knowing sure, him, no he's question. a bright guy. There's, uh, he's a bright guy. What do you think is going to happen now, Bunny? So, right, right they got him. What's the next and, step? Are and, they going to lose him again? Any changes? No. They, they, <laughs> he's heavily guarded now. Okay. I understand they took him to Avondale State Police, which is right down the road here, uh, probably temporarily till they can move him to Greater Ford. I'm not sure what state correctional institution he will be moved to. I think there's 24 or 25 in the Commonwealth, SCIs, they call them, state correctional institution, which are high security, um, maximum security so they will process and do whatever they need to do. But I can guarantee you he will be moved under heavy guard at all times until he is finally located in a very secure maximum facility. But wasn't he I already have... in a maximum secured facility when no. he escaped? He wasn't? Obviously he wasn't because well, he got out. I thought he was. <laughs> it wasn't maximum security. Well, I think he yeah, was. It's only... right. Well, let me tell you something. The, the, the Chester County Prison is not – and I mentioned this before – it's not some rinky-dink little sheriff's office like you see Andy Mayberry and there's two cells. You know, one is the town drunk and the other is 
some guy they just picked up for stealing a horse or something, and they steal the sheriff's key <laughs> ring and they escape. You know, I that's what we visual. think of. This is a maximum, or I'm sorry, this is a state-of-the-art facility. It has minimum, it has uh, minimum, mid, and it does have maximum areas where they can keep in segregated areas or they can hold high-profile maximum security prisoners. This is not some, this is a state-of-the-art facility. Unfortunately, I understand the policy and procedure. They let this individual out in an outside exercise yard. I'm not sure if there is a correctional officer there, but in the same place where the guy crab walked up the wall in May. So <laughs> if they're going to put him outside for the warden said he he has his rights. Okay, so he wanted some sunshine. If they're going to put him out there, put a CO with him. Don't put him out with other inmates. How about a couple of and zip ties? So, <laughs> a couple of zip ties would have been good, too. Yeah, so what, does Greater offer better security that when he goes outside, he's actually going to be secure? Or, I mean, is this just... Oh, Greater Ford is tight. And actually, Chester County is tight. You could do... They could do their exercise or their timeout in an indoor location. Why they had him outside, I don't know. That goes to back to policy, procedure, the warden, what was in place, how are they handling him, was he mixed with other prisoners? Well, this is a stone-cold killer. Was he in there with people with DUIs? I don't know. I don't know what happened there. And a full investigation should be had, A, on the prison, B, on the escape, C, on the hunt, and the final capture. And if we get a full transparent investigation, which we should have, uh, we will maybe be able to answer some of these questions. Well, let's hope so. So here's the question of the day. Um, do you believe Hunter Biden, I mean, uh, Joe Biden should be impeached? <laughs> if you were in the Congress, would you be supporting uh, impeachment proceedings? Well, I certainly think there's enough evidence there to do it, and I think we should move ahead. But I don't know that that will happen because ultimately we won't get the votes to actually do it in the Senate. But do I think they should move ahead? Because I think it gives them the ability to investigate and get documents and information uh, that they need to get. So I think they need to move ahead with the process. I guess the yeah. argument out there, Stan, that you're getting to is that you can't impeach him because he's not really. Well, I saw this uh, cartoon joke. That they're asking this kid. This, they're asking this kid to talk about justice in America. He said, "In America, everybody has the right to be." Uh, how, how does he put? Everybody. He goes, uh, but what sets America apart uh, is that when a person is charged with a crime, a person is considered innocent until he's proven a Republican. Hmm. So that was until it comes to Trump, right? <laughs> right. So that's what we're de- <laughs> dealing you... with. I have to tell Brian Fitzpatrick that you know, so he kind of gets off his case. Did you see the Putin? Uh, the Putin comment. He, he the Putin. I've got to find it somewhere, Liz. Uh, you, you, oh, he he, you're, said, you're, he said it was politically motivated. Oh, and he said, "What a shame for America to do this." This is Putin is commenting that it's not appropriate yeah well wow. he's used to doing that stuff so he knows it's not appropriate that's where he's coming yeah, from yeah. listen we got a break for a station identification so tj take it away and come back with uh carrie lake number four and then we're going to have josh prince mr second amendment constitution all things 
actually, I was talking to Liz earlier. I said, you know, he would have been a great judge, but I am so glad he's yeah. fighting for us because no one gets it together as much as Josh does. So yeah, that's true. hang on. We got it all. So take it away for station identification. WWDB 860 AM Philadelphia and WPEN HD2 Burlington, Philadelphia. Carrie Lake, um, actually, there's two things going on. One, we're going to be live streaming, but you're saying you, you've got another case that actually you believe may be more important. Can you walk us through it? Oh, I think they're all important. You know, the, the fake news never talks about any of our cases. They act like everything's done. And, and it's not today at 1030 Arizona time. That would be 130 Eastern time in a federal court, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, we are going to be presenting the case that we actually presented for the first time seven months before the election to try to get injunctive relief to not use these voting machines that are so problematic, that are easily manipulated, that our enemies make the components for. And we had a, a you know, seven months before the election, a Obama judge threw it out, dismissed the case, and then Lo and behold, we saw what happened in Arizona on Election Day in 2022. We saw how the machines failed at an alarming rate. 59 percent, nearly 60 percent of the polling locations had failed machines. So we are appealing that original case. This could have huge implications. This could effectually get rid of these machines. So I'm asking everybody to keep Andrew Parker, my attorney, in your prayers today as he has 20 minutes uh, in front of a three-judge appellate court in the Ninth Circuit to uh, present our case. And we think this is a case that the whole country would benefit from if we were able to get rid of these, these horrible voting machines. What what is a central what's your central thesis? It got thrown out by an Obama judge, but an appellate court decided to pick it up. What what, what is the basic? Don't let toxins builds up in your argument. body. Try this new smart patch instead. It draws out built up. Ca- All it is living in the world. I love my country because I'm blessed with my freedom. Ukraine got rich, but Hawaii really needs us. Got a devil in the White House, but this country needs Jesus. Living in the Prosecution's real. They'll take our polls down, labeling false information, exposing their agenda. It's what they're afraid of. My president got a mugshot. Red wave cell block. Red, white, and blue. The national anthem made for Jill Scott. Back when I had an Obama phone, but Trump gave us the opportunity to earn it on our own. I love my country because it gave me freedom. Either we take the power back, or we'll never be free again. American baby. Dear Democrat Party, if you believe that black and brown people can't make it without extra help from the government, maybe it's you that's racist. It's time to unite white, black, brown, Trump, Latinos. That was the that was the hip hop, the latest hip hop. Uh, song from a group of a young Hispanic uh, young men. It was uh, pretty impressive uh, how they strung it together. I liked it. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. So we got Josh Prince on, and we have Andrew Meehan on. Andy Meehan on. Andy, are you going to do any hip-hop music? Nah, not my style, Stan. <laughs> I'll stick with the rock and roll parodies. What would you think of that hip-hop song? 
it's pretty, oh, I think it's great. <laughs> it's pretty good. I mean, right yeah. now we are accumulating all these songs from uh, you know Dance Like Joe Biden and um, you know uh, uh, Light 'Em Up and all these songs. So pretty soon we're gonna have we're gonna just be a DJ station uh, by the time we get all these songs out there. Well, if you want to hear those songs, come, come on, make sure you come on out to the Trump store on Saturday and you'll hear them all the, uh, the greatest hits of the Trump trade band. We'll be playing them. Yep. Yeah, I know you've been working on a bunch of them. So that's the uh, Trump store on September. I mean, September 16th. That's this Saturday. What time does it start? Uh, we're going to start at noon and we'll be there for, I don't know, probably about four hours. So there'll be some speakers and, you know, people are hanging out and, and live music entertainment and, uh, and lots of lots of uh, Trump supporters, you know, in attendance, learning about what's going on in the world, how they can get involved, and uh, and help the Trump campaign, and help us make some changes here in Bucks County that we need to make with the Republican Party. Do you know what the address is of the Trump store? I forget off the top of my head. Uh, Twenty sixty two zero six zero Street Road in Bed Salem. Great, and it's a, they have everything there. They have uh, the Trump mugs. Uh, they have everything. The mugshot mugs. Uh, they got it all. It's like it's like Disneyland for Trump supporters. There, yeah, you know? yeah. And if you haven't heard the Right for Bucks band, you really need oh. to just uh, you have to come out just to hear it. He does a spoof on many songs. And if you're a patriot, if you want to save our country, you got to hear Andy's band. And Andy, love Andy's, it. The, Andy's the greatest. So well, I thank got, you, Liz and Stan. I appreciate that. Yeah. I pre- we appreciate you, Andy. And, and and while we're talking about it, there's another event, training event, uh, right, Andy, on September 30th in Falls Township. Yeah, well, we we have a, we we've actually got a a training event on the evening of September 21st, and that's a Zoom meeting with Donna Ellingson and Lisa Von Dalen, and that's on why uh, it's important and how to go about running for your local uh, Republican uh, precinct committee seats. So that's like a classroom that we run. And then we've got a couple events that are basically to bring attention to this and educate people. And they're the ones that we're having uh, in front of the Trump store. Saturday on uh, Saturday, the 30th of September, uh, we'll be in the Falls Township Park at the big soccer pavilion there. And then finally, uh, we'll be with you, Liz, in Percocet on October 14th at Menlo Park for yeah. our final event of that series. And the Trump trade band will be playing. We'll have speakers and and, um, and we'll be talking to people again about and, what's happening and, in the world. And, Menlo, and, and then we have we have uh, September 22nd. Yeah, I was going to get to that. And yeah. it, but Menlo Park is Upper Bucks. So for all the people out there that are always saying, I don't want to drive to Lower Bucks, it is a long drive. Please know that we're we're doing this so that you don't have to drive. So if you please come from all over. But this is Upper Bucks. So now there's no more excuses. You, yeah. And they will have out. extension cords for anybody who has an EV. Yeah, yeah. Okay. and, and <laughs> Sam wants me to uh, mention now uh, September twenty second at the Fuge. At the Fuge, which we were just at the other night um, with Dennis Prager, that was a great Pretty night. Uh, but Mark Houck running for Congress, who we you know adore, and, and we'll he's have... going to have his grand you know reveal. Is it basically come out and meet Mark here, what he stands for yeah. at the Fuge on September twenty second. Yeah, he'll be taking questions uh, from the audience, so you want to yeah. get in there and. Uh, uh, we'd love to get a debate between him and uh, uh, Brian Fitzpatrick. Yeah, we would love uh, it. But we are, he's willing to take questions uh, on on uh, that evening. And for the record, Mark has reached out, but uh, Fitzpatrick has not responded. I'm a little shocked. No, I'm not shocked. I'm not shocked. <laughs> so, Hauk for Congress is how you get tickets. Hauk, the, uh, spell it out, F O R, Hauk for Congress.com. 
And go on there to donate, to get tickets to support. We really need everyone's support. Great venue, uh, 922, September 22nd, starts at 6 o'clock. Yeah. Uh, be there or be square. And yeah. by the way, you get to meet Liz. You get to meet uh, William Williams, the guy with two first names, who is our uh, IT guy. You get to meet me, which maybe you don't want to meet me, but you get to meet Andy, Andy Titleman. No relation to Andy Meehan, no. even though I think Andy Titleman is Jewish, but he's from another, you know, is from a, he's actually, Andy Titleman is actually Irish, used to be O. Titleman, but he dropped the L, so <laughs> just keep that in mind. All right. Oh, my gosh. Oh, and also go uh, to writeforbucks.com to and, get involved in all these other events with and, Right and, for Bucks. And if William Wien does his job right, uh, you can look on our website, www.don'tbackdown. Show. Dot show. Why don't you say it in the microphone? Don't back down show.net. So don't back down show.net. All right. So we'll have some of these events up there. And that's if William William does his job right because he gets William Michaels. That's because he gets these big paychecks every so many months. Okay. So, Andy, thank you. And we're going to bring on Josh yeah, Prince. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, Andy, you anytime you've got something you know you can call here. You're, yeah, you're, a, you're a good man. You're doing your job. Everybody's moving at a click. Trying. See you Saturday. See you Saturday. Yeah. So Josh Prince is on the line. Our Second Amendment, all things Second Amendment, all things constitutional. If you have a problem and somebody's attacking that you feel it's unconstitutional, give this man a call, and he will guide you through the process. So welcome. Um, Hi, Josh. Josh. And, hey, Stan and Liz. Yeah. It's great and, to be on again. Yeah, Andy... Andy Titleman is actually working today. He's got a couple of clients he had to work with today. So, uh, oh, he's always working. I, poor Andy. He's just actually and he, has in court. He did, you know. He's been fighting the good fight. Yes. Yeah. He he is. Um, he's one of your guys, and he would have loved to have been here to talk to you about this. Uh, well, didn't he try to call in? I think yeah, that we had the well, guest speaker at that probably time. Probably what happened is he, he probably had to go back onto the case because it was one of these things. Probably, where, yeah. But if you're out there, Andy, try calling back in. We. Yeah, if you're you. if, if you're listening, um, even if you're not listening, call in. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a couple of arguments that you've come up with um, on this uh, Second Amendment case, and I'm trying to pull it up. Um, I had printed it out. Do you have it there, Liz? Uh, I'm going to try to find. He it. can just talk about it because um, I have it on my phone. I didn't yeah, I had I had so I had yellow marks. Yeah, okay. things up we got there, Josh. Go That's all we need. Go ahead, Josh. The, Bring this it on. morning, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court heard oral argument in a case called City of Philadelphia versus Crawford. And what it was is that the uh, the city and a number of individual plaintiffs basically brought an action against the Commonwealth trying to argue that our state firearm preemption law is unconstitutional. Now, it's existed since 1974 in some form here in the Commonwealth, and they're just now bringing this challenge because they've been losing all of their prior challenges. And in fact, back in 1996, the PA Supreme Court had told the city of Philadelphia and the city of Pittsburgh that they could not regulate uh, in relation to firearms in any manner, uh, and that was, you know, their disgruntlement. And so since then, what we've seen is a number of liberal cities basically enact their own firearm ordinances, thumbing their nose at both the statute and the PA Supreme Court's prior decision. 
And what results is gun rights groups bring challenges to those different ordinances and have been successful in getting them ruled invalid and unlawful. And although it is a criminal act for any municipality to basically enact a law or an ordinance in violation of our state preemption, no district attorney has prosecuted them. And you may remember back in 2019, the city of Pittsburgh passed three very broad ordinances where they regulated everything from what they called assault weapons and large capacity magazines. And oh yeah, by the way, it also included pretty much all handguns, uh, as well as regulating what they were calling extreme risk protection orders. And in that case, I was successful in getting all three ordinances thrown out, declared unlawful. They appealed up to the Commonwealth Court, and the Commonwealth Court likewise said, listen, you do not have this power. The General Assembly has precluded you from being able to regulate firearms and ammunition in any manner, and that's the end of it. Uh, And unfortunately, even though in Judge McCullough's decision from the Commonwealth Court, uh, where she's found that the the both the city of Pittsburgh and then also the city of Philadelphia had submitted an amicus brief in the case as well, that their arguments were frivolous because this exact issue had come up previously before not just the Commonwealth Court, but also the PA Supreme Court, and they said they couldn't regulate in this manner. And when you actually look at the text of their prior assault weapon ban – And the one that they were looking to impose now, it was verbatim. It was the same. And so, uh, unfortunately, generally speaking, there's no ability to get attorney's fees and costs, even if you're successful in one of these types of challenges. And so the municipalities know that they can spend taxpayer money to implement and litigate these unlawful regulations. And unfortunately, the Second Amendment organizations and groups end up spending all this money fighting to get them ruled unlawful and don't generally have any ability to uh, get their attorney's fees and costs back. Now, in the Pittsburgh matter, it's a little bit different because there, with Judge McCullough's finding that it was frivolous, there is a rule of civil procedure that says that if someone brings a frivolous case, there is an ability for a court to award attorney's fees and costs. So we have asked the Commonwealth Court in that case to award us uh, attorney's fees and costs. I don't know. Uh, I think it's been pending now close to a year, that request. So I don't know what's going to happen. But the city of Pittsburgh and the city of Philadelphia did appeal that case up to the PA Supreme Court. And the PA Supreme Court has basically stayed that case and another case I'm litigating against the city of Philadelphia while it considers this Crawford case. And so oral argument was this morning. And basically what the city of Philadelphia is now trying to argue is that under Article 1, Section 1 of the Pennsylvania Constitution, there is an unspecified constitutional right to have security that you will not be harmed and you have a right not to be fearful leaving your home. And they're contending that these individuals, their select plaintiffs, all are victims of, in one shape or form or another of uh, some form of what they term gun violence. Uh, either they have a family member that's been shot uh, or killed And so they contend they're a victim of what they refer to as gun violence and that pursuant to Article 1, Section 1, they have a right not to live in fear in Philadelphia. 
And so it's really, really interesting uh, the way in which they try to make this argument, because, of course, as I'm sure you and all the listeners know, a lot of this is the result of our soft on crime approach in Philadelphia. Uh, District Attorney Krasner not prosecuting individuals who commit violent offenses or plea bargaining these cases out to minor offenses and putting these individuals right back on the streets where they repeat offend. Does, doesn't, uh, so, Josh, doesn't Philadelphia have a lot of, of uh, handgun regulations on the books even now? So they have them, but they have not enforced them. The only recent change was in uh, 2020, they decided under District Attorney Krasner to start enforcing their lost and stolen ordinance. Now, at first blush, most people would say having to report a lost or stolen firearm seems to make sense because as a law-abiding person, we don't want a criminal with the gun. What is lost on most people is that there are select uh, law enforcement agencies and counties that will take action against someone for reporting their firearm lost or stolen. And what I mean by that is in Montgomery County, Chester County, Philadelphia County, if you report that your firearm was stolen, they will then revoke your license to carry firearms. Well, you're trying to do the right thing, and now they're going to retaliate against you. And oh yeah, by the way, our laws regarding transportation here in the Commonwealth are extremely draconian. And most, uh, I'd say 99.99% of attorneys don't know that absent a license to carry, there's only very limited locations you can go directly to and from. So if uh, I don't have a license to carry, I can only go directly from my home to the gun range and back, directly from my home to the federal firearms licensee, aka gun dealer, back directly to my hunting camp back, directly to my business back. That's it. Nothing more. Walmart isn't mentioned. Grocery store isn't mentioned. Mall isn't mentioned. The 9,000 other locations that you may go to are not mentioned. And why this is important is that you must also go directly to and from those locations. So if I go to the range, put some lead down range, build up an appetite and say, you know what, on my way home, there's a Burger King I pass. I'm going to stop and grab a bite there. If I do that, I've now violated the law. And that violation of law is a misdemeanor of the first degree, which means under federal law, I will now arguably lose my Second Amendment rights. And I say arguably because we've litigated a number of Second Amendment as applied challenges where we have had success in the federal courts basically saying, yeah, this is unconstitutional to strip someone in this context, but not in relation to a transportation uh, violation as of this point. Josh, I thought if um, you went to gun range and then you put it in your uh, in the case and you put the case in the trunk uh, that that is secure enough that you can go get something to eat. Am I wrong no. on that? No. So you it, it, under it, Pennsylvania law, you cannot. You cannot do that. Federal law would say it's okay, but uh, Pennsylvania law does not, and that's why I say the law is so draconian here. So the other thing that most people don't think about in relation to lost or stolen, we're basically revictimizing a victim of crime. So someone who has had a firearm stolen from them, if they fail to report it, we're now going to criminally prosecute this person for not disclosing their criminalization. That's obscene. Could you imagine if someone proposed a law that said that if you don't disclose that you've been raped, you can now be prosecuted for not disclosing that you were raped? (laughs) And yet that, you know, that's in essence what they're looking to do. They're trying to 
re-victimize a victim of crime. So that's another case. And it was interesting that the uh, attorneys for Crawford in the city and that brought up the fact that that case is stayed pending uh, their decision in this matter. I will say that argument was very interesting and it was very, very hard on the city of Philadelphia, ceasefire PA and all of that, because the justices, as our amicus brief had uh, addressed, uh, were bringing out the fact that this is really a policy decision. This is not uh, a situation where the judiciary should be involved. And they were trying to argue that there's a constitutional right in Article 1, Section 1, that people shouldn't uh, have a right not to live in fear of leaving their home, and that because of that, then the judiciary could step in. But I can tell you, Justices Wecht, Brobson, uh, Doherty, and also even surprisingly, Chief Justice Todd all expressed extreme skepticism that there was any ability for you know, the uh, for the courts to address this issue. They said, you know, they didn't unfortunately cite to our amicus brief, but one of our arguments was the proper recourse is to elect different officials. And several of the justices said that if you don't like what the General Assembly is doing, your recourse is to get other representatives elected. It's not to run to the courts to try and get the courts to address this issue. And even uh, Justice Brobson says, you know, let's say we agree with you what type of test would we direct the lower court to impose here? How do you balance this? Because Justice Brobson said, you know, you're contending that by enacting these different regulations, that's going to make uh, these people feel more secure and safe. But the Commonwealth's going to put on their case, and they're going to have people come in and say, well, by preventing me from being able to have a gun, it makes me feel less secure. So, how are we going to now balance that? And isn't this the policy decisions that the General Assembly should be addressing to the extent they believe it appropriate? And just because the General Assembly has refused the you know, uh, different regulations that you want doesn't mean that you have an ability to come in here to the courts. And they could not propose a test because I, I don't know how you would uh, come up with a test because the Supreme Court in the past has acknowledged that under Article 1, Section 1, we have a right to self-defense. Uh, and then, of course, as I'm sure most of the listeners know, under Article 1, Section 21, that is our right to keep and bear arms provision under the Pennsylvania Constitution. And so, you know, arguably, those who are on the pro-rights, pro-gun side are going to say, well, you got two constitutional provisions in our favor, and you're talking about a one possible one in your favor, one that's not even uh, specified in the Constitution. Um, so uh, it was really good to see. I'll say Justice Mundy didn't ask a single question, which was a little bit concerning. Uh, she is a Republican, uh, but I did expect to get some questions from her. Justice Donahue seemed to be the only justice there that uh, seemed to be uh, buying the city of Philadelphia's arguments, although she also said, I'm a little concerned under substantive due process, uh, whether you have a case here. And, you know, I'm not seeing where specifically in Article 1, Section 21, this right exists. But I think you might have an equal protection argument. Uh, so she was seemingly trying to tee up a future case for them to bring. Uh, so I have no idea, you know, what 
may result. But I did think it was also interesting, Justice Wecht, who is a Democrat, but he has been a very ardent, generally, defender of our Constitution. There's some decisions I don't agree with that he's done in the map redistricting cases and that. But I will say when it's come to other constitutional issues, he has been an ardent defender of our rights. Uh, And uh, he actually asked the uh, city of Philadelphia attorney, he said, you know, this reminds me of a song that Lori Morgan sang, and I, I didn't know who Lori Morgan was, uh, but he said, the, the name is, what part of no don't you understand? Uh, and he said, you know, we've told you repeatedly you cannot regulate firearms and ammunition, that it's the exclusive prerogative of the General Assembly, and yet here you are again requesting an ability to regulate firearms. Can I ask um, you a question, so, Josh? Sure. You know, when they talk about this thing, there, one of the things is if a person wants to feel safe walking down their street, you know, defund the police. There's no police protection. There's no um, uh, no uh, what is it? Uh, search, uh, stop and frisk uh, to try to get these uh, people that aren't supposed to have guns off the street. So in effect, the city is not living up to their responsibility protecting their citizens. Therefore, you need to have this, these carry laws there. It'd be one thing if there's a cop on every corner and everybody felt secure walking down the street and there wasn't any crime and they were getting the guns up from the, the bad guys because the bad guys never give up their guns, let's face it. Uh, so it, it would seem to me that there is a corresponding responsibility of the cities to enforce the laws that they have and to protect their citizens, which obviously is not happening in the city of Philadelphia because you got a hundred and some people being shot, you know, on a regular basis, it seems. It would also seem to me and, that a Democrat judge wouldn't be, you know, topping a Republican judge now. So this is what it's come to. I, I'm... Well, and, and what's interesting and what do you just said, Stan, is Justice Dougherty, who is a Democrat, he actually went after District Attorney Krasner. He actually said to the city of Philadelphia, I think you have the wrong defendants here. I think you should be going after the prosecutor here in Philadelphia. He didn't call him out by name. He didn't say D.A. Krasner, but he said the prosecutor in this jurisdiction because of all the leniency that's being given and how many cases are not being prosecuted and the fact that these individuals tend to be repeat offenders. Yeah. And I I was really surprised by that. Yeah, I I think there's – you know, I'm hoping – that when those judges swear to uphold the Constitution, uh, they may have some ideologic ideology that may necessarily not jive with us, but basically they want their citizens, they want them to be safe. They want to use common sense to protect them. And if a city's not doing it and, you know, they're letting in millions of people in on the borders and their sanctuary cities, you don't know who these people are. You, don't know, you know that some of them are definitely bad actors or criminals. Um, clearly, Citizens need to have the right to protect themselves. It seems blatantly apparent. Absolutely. And, you know, I I do think that the Supreme Court will get this one right, or at least I'm hopeful. I think that they will affirm the Commonwealth Court's dismissal of this action, but I don't think it'll be the end of it. Uh, I do no, think there's never a possibility. An it's never yeah, an end. They always could, push. Yeah, you could see different challenges. And even Justice Daugherty said that, you know, he could potentially see some of these uh, challenges 
that, you know, maybe our state preemption code is limited to certain criteria and that having to apply for a permit to purchase a gun wouldn't run afoul of it. Uh, and then I was a little disappointed. I, I know Justice Robson uh, is extremely intelligent and very conservative, but he made the comment to the city because the city said they already have three of these proposals enacted. Uh, they're just not enforcing them. He says, well, why don't you go ahead and start enforcing them and see what happens? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, you know, this is a death by a thousand cuts because we're litigating these cases all over the Commonwealth when municipalities violate the law and to just throw more of it at these organizations. It's just it's, overwhelming. It's called wearing you down. Listen, Justin, we don't want you to hang on because I want to come back after our uh, station break here and or bottom of the hour break and talk about uh, New Mexico's governor and what she blatantly did under the disguise of uh, emergency. So we'll be right back with you, Josh. Take it away. The first picture online when selling your home is of the outside. So what outside photo do you want to show when your home goes on the market? One showing lush landscaping with beautiful flowers and trees blooming or one with snow on the ground? Diane Cardano here from the Cardano team. One of my top home selling strategies is to take beautiful, eye-catching exterior photos of your home when it looks its best on the outside and then store them in the computer until you're ready to list your home. Why not have eye-catching photos showcasing the beauty of your home anytime you put it on the market? Now's the perfect time to capture your home's beauty as spring is here and summer's coming. Call me, Diane Cardano, to reserve your free photo shoot. We'll take stunning exterior photos that will lure hundreds of potential buyers to request the showing, and you'll have multiple offers, and then I'll negotiate the price up thousands over asking. Make your home stand out. Give it a chance to sell for top dollar and put money in your pocket. Call 215-576-8666 or go to DianeCardano.com. The American president is doomed. The little old man can barely move. If he moves too quick, he'll topple just like the domino. He's got that sinister smile and thinks he just might win the bet. But he's just hanging on, dangling like hunch a cigarette. Hundred times with the hookah pipe say, Walk like a Joe Biden. Walk like Joe Biden. One of the great songs going right to the top. Hey, Ladies man. and gentlemen, this is DJ SC Casasio playing the latest hits. <laughs> <laughs> I'm got all these trip like Joe Biden. Trip like Joe Biden. Yeah. Boom. Yes. Uh, even our 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 uh, um, director over here is uh, doing very well. Uh, so uh, let's talk about um, the governor of New Mexico. Supposedly. She, of course, Democrats have that saying, never let a crisis, good crisis go to waste. So they've taken this terrible incident in which an 11-year-old child got shot during, I think, a road, road rage incident. And she's calling it an emergency. And therefore, she is banning um, all the handguns or something like that. Um, so, and of course, people are saying, well, we're going to impeach you. So what's your feeling about that? Well, it's clearly unconstitutional. And what was interesting is during the press you know, interview, she admitted that her action will not do anything to dissuade criminals from carrying firearms in violation yes. of her regulation uh, or her executive fiat. 
and so there's an acknowledgement there that all she's doing is divesting law-abiding citizens of their ability to defend themselves. And I know suits already been filed in federal court, uh, basically requesting a temporary restraining order, uh, which would be issued potentially ex parte, as well as a preliminary injunction and all that goes along with it. Because obviously, the uh, speed at which most federal courts address these issues would result in the 30-day moratorium basically expiring before the court would likely hear it. So you have to file for a TRO, a temporary restraining order, to try and get that emergency action by the court to review it uh, and enjoin it. And I have no doubt that that's what the result will be, provided we get a true judicial instead of political decision. I'm sure as most of your uh, uh, listeners are aware, and I've railed against while I was campaigning, is we've seen a dramatic uptick in judges issuing political instead of judicial decisions. And it is destroying our republic. I think if there's any way to save our republic, we need the judiciary to return to only issuing judicial non-political decisions. Uh, but in relation to her, you know, or her basically pronouncement, I, I don't see that that will uh, you know, be successful in a court of law. They're going to say she doesn't have the power to do it, and it would be unconstitutional, especially given the recent Supreme Court decision in uh, Bruin versus New York State Rifle and Pistol Association. Yeah, so, uh, so it looked pretty clear that they could be able to overthrow it, uh, overturn that, that ruling, but to me it's pretty draconian what she's doing. Of course, in Minnesota, you know, they try to do the same thing. Uh, it's it, basically it's just trying to control the population and more of a, a tyranny type of thing. What there's over four million handguns or guns in the United States, some like four hundred fifty or four hundred eighty million guns. I don't know how you reel that in. I mean, uh, gun ownership is what this country always had to protect itself because you know in the early days. Uh, it was just you. There were no police. There was no uh, military or anything else to protect you. You were out in the in the uh, on the frontier by yourself. And we took up arms for our independence. You know, we fought the British with arms. Uh, so it, it's an extremely important aspect of our history, and that's really what the uh, Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court's decision on Bruin, really focused on was, you know, understanding around the time of founding, what was the understanding of the Second Amendment? And were there laws in place that were similar in nature to ones today? If not, in all likelihood, the laws of today are unconstitutional. And, you know, when you do a historical analysis, there really was not any time where our founding fathers stripped someone in perpetuity for the rest of their life of the right to keep and bear arms. Even in relation to Shays' Rebellion, where a group rebelled against the newly formed government, there they either uh, they could only not possess firearms for a three-year period, or if they swore an oath to uphold the new government, then their rights would be restored sooner than three years. But the max was three years. Mm-hmm. And of course, we um, all know and- that that was the only time a president of the United States led the military. Uh, George Washington was the head of the military to go out there and put down Shays' Rebellion. And they saw him and they all got scared and they said, okay, we're fine with it. (laughs) And as a gun owner, I I mean, I would not feel safe 
without my my protecting my family. We know statistically it takes yeah, eight, look eight at this, minutes. Look, look at this guy that broke out of prison. Exactly. And statistically, it takes eight minutes is what I've always been told. Eight minutes for the police to get there. That's an average time. And a lot of criminals know, oh, I got eight minutes. Like, I, I don't lot, have eight Philadelphia minutes. Philadelphia is a lot longer than yeah, that. Yeah, well, I don't have eight minutes. So I don't I, I can't imagine not feeling like I can protect my own family. And it's just it'd be the end of America. Uh, Josh, uh, what else is uh, coming up in your purview uh, in the next, uh, you know, 60 days? Because I always know you got well, stuff uh, happening. Oh, yeah. We, we got a number of cases. I mentioned before we have the case in Montgomery County where the Montgomery County Sheriff imposed his own policy where he could go into any gun dealer and basically oh, yeah, force yeah. seize Ken- them. Well, yeah. Kenny. Uh, oh, Kenny. Yep. Yeah. Kill Kenny. Yep. And while he's there, he could force him to have to provide him anything that he's requesting and all sorts of stuff well beyond the scope of any powers, you know, statutorily and obviously well beyond what the Constitution, both the Pennsylvania and U.S. constitutions provide. There is no ability citing to get this power. So so there was a regulation that the Pennsylvania State Police passed that says that uh, if you obtain a Pennsylvania firearms sales license, which everyone who is a federal firearms licensee must do in order to sell firearms here in the Commonwealth, uh, that you can be subjected to a audit by the Pennsylvania State Police, its designee, or the issuing authority. The way you get a Pennsylvania firearms sales license is you have to go to your sheriff in the county in which your business exists to get that. So the issuing authority is the county sheriff. But what's interesting is all that that regulation provides is that they can come in to conduct a warrantless, allegedly, inspection. It doesn't talk about seizing anyone. It doesn't talk about them having to respond to questions. It doesn't talk about them having to provide documents or numerous other provisions that uh, Sheriff Kilkenny's policy uh, includes. Now, I don't believe the regulation is lawful. And what's interesting is we really haven't seen the regulation utilized since it was passed back in 2012. Um, And so we're in the Commonwealth Court and we are challenging not just Kilkenny's policy, but also the Pennsylvania State Police uh, regulation, because we say there's no basis for it. The General Assembly never provided for any type of audits or compliance inspections of federal firearms licensees or Pennsylvania firearms sales licensees. There is nothing whatsoever in there about that. And so we believe that's an overreach. That's a policy decision that the General Assembly, not an administrative agency like the PSP, needs to make. So if, you know, there is a desire to allow for warrantless, assuming that one can even constitutionally, statutorily provide for a warrantless search of a business, that is only something that the General Assembly could do. And so uh, we have a briefing schedule now set by the uh, the Commonwealth Court. Uh, so I think uh, probably by the end of, uh, probably mid of November, all briefings should be done there. And then the court has already directed once all the briefings done for oral argument to be scheduled. Uh, the other case that we're handling involves the delays in the background check system when you obtain, when you attempt to purchase a firearm. So some of the listeners may remember about a year, year and a half ago, if you attempted to purchase a firearm, the delays weren't minutes. It wasn't hours. In many occasions, it was days or weeks, even though 
the statutory law provides that it shall be an instantaneous background check and that the results shall be conveyed immediately. Nevertheless, the Pennsylvania State Police wasn't doing that. So we filed suit in the Commonwealth Court against the Pennsylvania State Police, uh, and Judge McCullough actually heard that case on the preliminary injunction request. And what was really interesting was the testimony that came out during the hearing, uh, because the Pennsylvania State Police, their uh, the person representing them, not their attorney, but the the individual from the PSP that was explaining the issues to the court was Lieutenant Keeler. And uh, she came and testified in broad strokes that it was an impossibility, remember this, an impossibility for them to perform the background checks any faster, that of their current funding allotment, they were eight employees below what they're funded for. But in addition to that, they needed 20 more employees. So they needed to hire a total of 28 employees to be able to conduct these background checks instantaneously. And that they had gone to the General Assembly, and I believe they requested an additional $2 million to be able to hire these 20 additional employees. And the General Assembly told them no. And so without this money and without these additional employees, there's no way for them to be able to conduct these background checks instantaneously. So then it gets to be my opportunity to ask some questions. And I said, you know, Lieutenant Killer, you said the current funding allotment provides for eight additional employees uh, that are not currently uh, employed. Have, do you have job openings posted for them? No. Okay. Uh, in relation to these additional 20, uh, am I correct? Every time you purchase a firearm, a portion of the background check fee gets placed into a special account, which can only be used to hire these operators that do these background checks. Yes, that's correct. And I said, oh, I just so happen to have a copy of budget. You agree this is the budget? Yes, I do. And can you please tell us how much money is in that special reserve account that can only be utilized to hire PICS operators? $4 million. And I said, based on your testimony earlier, can I assume $4 million is enough to hire the 20 additional employees? Yes. Have you posted those 20 additional job openings? No. Why not? The General Assembly hasn't funded us. You can't make this stuff up. No. <laughs> so, Good job. So, so, that's, so why I said I'm he, just, that's why I said he, he is the best. I, I mean, awesome. I would love you to be a judge, but, but boy, you... You've you've got a certain gift that uh, oh, well, we, how's this we end? Just... So go ahead. And so, so, so anyway, uh, Judge McCullough issues the injunction. Says the statute says it's instantaneous. You got to perform these instantaneously, and that's it. Within a week, all of a sudden, the delays go away. It's only taking minutes at most. I'm not hearing anything. I get getting calls from gun dealers. Josh, what'd you do? I'm thinking, oh my God, what'd I do this time? They're like, no, all the delays, they all went away. Wow. And what was really interesting, the one thing I did not know and I learned during that hearing, the only impossibility that existed was for the Commonwealth to hire a single employee in that one week. It generally takes six months for the Commonwealth to hire an employee between the background checks and everything else, the interviews and all this that they do. political stuff. There sure is a lot of money for that one employee. I wonder where the rest is going to go. Well, they'll say they need facilities for them and stuff like that. But what's more interesting, remember, they are eight employees down from their current funding allotment, don't have the additional 20, and now we're able to perform those background checks without any issue. What does that mean? 
what that means is the Pennsylvania State Police was leveraging our constitutional right against their desire to get more money. What they wanted was for every one of us to contact our representatives, start complaining about the background check delays. When they call the PSP and say, what's going on here? They're going to say, well, we told you we needed 20 more employees and you refused to give us the $2 million additional. And so until you do that, then, you know, we can't help you. Meanwhile, they had the ability the entire time. Now, unfortunately, because of my prior campaign and the fact that Judge McCullough was also campaigning at the same time uh, for the Republican uh, ticket, uh, she felt that she had to recuse herself so that no one could, you know, argue that there was any type of impropriety or that. And I respect that. Um, But the case then went forward to summary judgment, and we unfortunately got some liberal judges on the Commonwealth Court to say, yeah, we see this says it's instantaneous, but we don't think that's basically what the General Assembly really intended. There is no specific time frame that this decision needs to be made during, and so you know, we're going to dismiss the cases. There's no ability to actually bring a challenge in this situation. And it it was just absolutely mind boggling to me uh, to see this decision come out, Um, especially given the evidence we had. We actually, one of my plaintiffs is a licensee. He holds a federal firearms license. Lieutenant Keeler testified that it's an impossibility for him to be a prohibited person And yet his background check, when he went to transfer a firearm to himself, took over five days. So this case, we've now appealed up to the PA Supreme Court, and we've already filed our our first brief. And uh, I believe uh, mid-November, any reply brief will be due uh, in that case. And, you know, we expect we'll have oral argument before the PA Supreme Court likely in the next year on this case, uh, just because this is just absolutely obscene. Um, I, I and we, okay. Thank I, you I, for shining I, light I, on it. I, that's why I love uh, when you come on every once in a while and bring us up to date. Uh, we're, we are coming to the end of the show, Josh, and uh, we appreciate that we've got a couple of things. I've got somebody on the line, I believe, wants to answer your question, but before we... Bring, bring I want to say we, we need Josh to uh, yeah. Who do you know these, in, these eight dogs? The eight dogs in Chester County that yeah, they can't seem yeah. to get it. Who do you know in Pittsburgh, Josh? Uh, <laughs> for what? Yeah. yeah for what on, purpose? Hold on. Go ahead. <laughs> so uh, we just want to announce quickly because we're running out of time. Uh, the Pennsylvania Phyllis Schlafly Eagles uh, Award Ceremony in Pittsburgh is coming up on September 28th, and we all know our host Stan Casascio is the president of the Phyllis Schlafly here in Philadelphia, and this is a very special event. Mark Houck will be one of the guest speakers, uh, 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 Catherine Engelbrecht, uh, Greg Phillips, Vico Bertogli, and there will be other guest speakers. It is in Pittsburgh at the uh, South Hills Country Club, September 28th, and we just want you to go and get your tickets and be a part of this amazing event. At uh, You can go to phyllisschlafly.com. Yeah, go to the event page, you little menu up at the top right hand corner go to the event page and it'll come up yes go to phyllisschlafly.com slash pennsylvania and you'll see the event page and if you have any questions you can call 314-721-1213 so september 28th and there's limited seating so you want to go and get your tickets now and it'll be a great evening yeah uh i'm sure you would have loved to handle the case for katherine engelbach and uh, uh glenn phillips because they they were 
sent to solitary confinement for not disclosing their sources in this case. And it has to do with, uh, of course, you know, Catherine uh, is the president of True the Vote along with uh, Philip uh, Glenn Phillips. And they supplied most of the data uh, in the movie 2000 Mules, which pretty much showed how the how the ballots were stuffed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a pretty uh, if you haven't seen it, you should see it. And anybody who says that the 2020 um, election was as clean as anything, they are definitely living underwater for sure. And how about the president of Chicago Teacher Union that opposed uh, the school choice and sends her son to private school? Yes. Did you see that? Hypocrisy it's knows just, no bound. It does never ending. Never ending. Josh, thank you for shedding all that light and being uh, our defender for our Second Amendment right. rights. Let me bring on Pauline. I think she has a question for you, Josh. Go ahead, Pauline. Hi, everybody. Um, I hope you're all having a terrific day. Sounds like you are. Hi, Josh, hi. Hi, Liz. Um, I... Josh, I just wanted to know, because I've asked you before, I don't know, I want to know how to get in touch with you so that I could speak directly to you, because I have some questions that would that you would fit the bill, you could answer. Is that uh, well, possible? You can, call, you can call the office at Civil Rights Defense Firm. The phone number is 888-202-9297, and that's 888-202-9297. Nine two nine seven. Also, if you just Google Civil Rights Defense Firm, you'll come up to our website, or you can just type www.civilrightsdefensefirm.com in, uh, and we have the phone number and you know other email inquiries right there on the page. Okay, thank you. Um, sure, but Stan, go ahead. Thanks, Stan. I have something for you. You're going to be your new career as a DJ. I have a song for you. <laughs> it's by John Lennon. It's an older song. It's called Give Me Some Truth. I think my daughter Olivia introduced you to that song uh, last year when we were in Pittsburgh. And I really would love because John Lennon, his lyrics in that song. I, I, I remember that. I remember today. that. I remember that song. I love John Lennon stuff. So I'll have to, I'll have to dig that up and uh, see if we can put that on uh, our DJ list here. So, uh, oh, that'd Josh, be great. Josh, thanks for calling in. Uh, we will, I'm sure we'll be talking to you. Pauline, I think we're going to uh, – got three minutes here, and I do want to play the clip, A Choice, Not an Echo, I think is number seven on our list there. Mm-hmm. Nixon's elected vice president, Spiro Agnew. In the fall of 1973, Agnew was indicted for tax evasion and forced to resign. His replacement was a colorless congressman from Grand Rapids called Gerald Ford. What was Ford's qualification for the job? Well, he had served on the Warren Commission, which absolved the CIA of responsibility for President Kennedy's murder. Nixon was strong-armed into accepting Gerald Ford by Democrats in Congress. Quote, we gave Nixon no choice but Ford, Speaker of the House Carl Albert later boasted. Eight months later, Gerald Ford of the Warren Commission was the President of the United States. See how that works? So those are the facts. Not speculation, all of that actually happened. None of it's secret, most of it actually is on Wikipedia. But no mainstream news organization has ever told that story. It's so obvious, yet it's intentionally ignored. And as a result, permanent Washington remains in charge of our political system. Unelected lifers in the federal agencies make the biggest decisions in American government and crush anyone who tries to rein them in. And in the process, our democracy becomes a joke. Now, 
You may have noticed that the very first person in the Trump administration the agencies went after was General Michael Flynn. Why Flynn? Because Mike Flynn was a career Army intel officer who ran the Defense Intelligence Agency. In other words, Mike Flynn knew exactly how the system worked. And as a result, he was capable of fighting back. Four days after Donald Trump's inauguration, the FBI lured Mike Flynn into a meeting without his lawyer, concocted a series of fake crimes, and forced him to resign. So that's how things actually work in Washington. Let's stop lying about it. Joe Biden, meanwhile, whooped like a hyena when the Justice Department destroyed Mike Flynn. So there is, we have to say, a certain perverse justice in watching something very similar happen to Joe Biden himself six years later. Joe Biden does not deserve our sympathy. He's being shafted, but don't weep for him. And yet the rest of us do deserve a better system, an actual democracy. When people nobody voted for run everything, you are not living in a free country. Yeah, that has a lot to do with, I suggest people get the book from Phyllis Schlafly, A Choice, Not an Echo. And you can see, and she traces uh, uh, a lot of the elections since the 1940s and shows that uh, we as citizens only get an echo. We never get a choice. And those choices have been very limited. Um, Ronald Reagan was considered a choice. And um, uh, Trump was definitely considered a choice as opposed to an echo. Every other president, every other Republican on that stage was an echo. Uh, and we know that the Bush, uh, uh, Jeb Bush, was an echo. He's a big echo. So we have to be aware of that. Uh, you wanted to s- talk about next yeah, week real quick, Really quick, quick next week. Do, join us next week. We're on every Wednesday, 1 to 3. Our guest speaker will be Kenneth Raposa. Uh, he's an author at Discourse, uh, Discourse, and he's a former staff correspondent for the Wall Street Journal. And we're out of time, but don't miss our guest speaker next week. Okay. Yeah, we have a few more seconds. So I hope you enjoyed the show. We will look for you next week. And uh, let's play the long version of uh, uh, the long version of 81 million votes. If you would have told me two years ago, three years ago, that I would be in the middle of a political movement, I would have said, put down Hunter's crack pipe. Right now. Right now. I can't afford your gas. It's bad flesh and cross the nation. 81 million votes my ass. Hey, 81 million votes my ass. You failed and fell back better. You middle finger the middle class. They pissed off an already pissed off woman. 81 million votes my ass.